Howdy, Huda Thunkers. This is the host of the Huda Thunkin' podcast, Zeb, with you as always. This is episode 101, titled simply Beer. Before we get into the main topic of beer, we're going to do that recommendation segment that I like to do, where I recommend something that I think you should check out. Some kind of event or TV show, whatever. This week's recommendation segment, and I recommend you check out the HBO Max series Peacemaker. Definitely not for kids. Uh, Very explicit. From creator James Gunn, Peacemaker is weird, fun, and explicit, Uh, just like all of James Gunn's works. Um, If you want to know what else James Gunn has done, probably the biggest one, Guardians of the Galaxy. That kind of fun lightness to it, but he's very dark and a he can he, he's gotten in trouble before having a quite the dark hu- sense of humor um that's i guess a decent amount of people find inappropriate and that carries over to peacemaker for sure and and dc i think is a better place for james gunn than marvel i love what he's done with uh, guardians of the galaxy but dc is willing to go more dark more messed up whereas you know marvel's all disneyfied now these days so i think he found quite a good spot over with dc he came out with the uh the Suicide Squad, the second one, the most recent one, the better one. And now he's come out with Peacemaker TV series on HBO Max. It follows the story of a comic book character known as Peacemaker. Peacemaker is the name of a series of fictional characters originally owned by Charlton Comics and later acquired by DC Comics. The original Peacemaker first appeared in Fightin' 5, uh, number 40, and was created by writer Joe Gill and artist Pat Boyette. Uh, back in 1966, so the character's been around for quite some time. Is Peacemaker a hero or villain? Uh, Hard to say uh, what the world would call him, but he calls himself a hero for sure. James Gunn version of Peacemaker is played by John Cena. The the John Cena. Yeah, if you don't get that reference, sorry, it was a radio bit. (laughs) anyway john cena cena does a wonderful job portraying this damaged psychopath as he tries to save uh yeah tries to there's a typo there safe as he tries to save the world from the alien race known as butterflies he likes 1980s rock ballads his best friend is eagly who's an intelligent bald eagle and creating peace at any cost no matter how many men women or children he has to kill to get it also, this show has one of the best intro sequences I have ever seen. Uh, at first, I thought it was weird and corny, and it is, but then it grew on me, and I have to watch the intro sequence every single episode. It's amazing. Same thing happened with Shannon. At first, she's like, this is so stupid, but by like episode five, she's like, don't, don't skip the intro sequence. It's like my favorite part. So pretty cool, and it hooks you right away. Now, that's enough for recommending Peacemaker. Now for the main event, uh, beer. I love beer. Probably too much, uh, but I ain't the only one. Around the world, humans consume over five or 50 billion gallons of beer every year, and it is the most widely consumed alcoholic drink on the planet. For So for this episode, I wanted to go into the history of beer and how it shaped our world today, um, and a couple other fun facts at the end, different types. There are, are a few questions I've always had surrounding beer, and I thought I would share the answers here um, that I found here. So hope you enjoy. Now, for now, first, let's start with the history of beer. Uh, goes back quite a bit. I'm not going to cover it all. Beer is old, very old. People have been making and drinking beer for so long that dating the origin of beer is rounded to the nearest thousand year mark. <laughs> so you can't say like 1863 or whatever. It goes by the thousandth year mark. The first beer in the world was thought to be brewed by the ancient Chinese around the year 7000 BCE, known as Kui. 
in the West. However, the process now recognized as beer brewing began in Mesopotamia at the Godin Tep uh, settlement now in modern day Iran between 3,500 and 3,100 BCE. But sources differ on this. Uh, Martin Martin Zarnkow, a brewing historian in the Center of Life and Food Science at the Munich Technical Institute or University, said ancient Sumerians didn't discover beer, nor did the Egyptians, as some people believe. Theories point to beer being produced in the Neolithic Revolution more than 11,000 years ago. So it's really old. What I take away from all these different sources giving different dates is that beer has been around for so long that we aren't exactly sure how old it is. Uh, we humans like to give answers for things, even if we have no really, we don't really know. So I think it's really old. We don't actually know how old. As almost any cereal containing certain sugars, um, uh, certain sugars can undergo spontaneous fermentation. So due to wild yeast being in the air. So it's possible that beer-like drinks were independently developed throughout the world soon after a tribe or culture had domesticated cereal, you know, grains. Chemical tests of ancient pottery jars reveal that beer was produced as far back as about 7,000 years ago and what is today Iran. This discovery reveals uh, one of the earliest known uses of fermentation and is the earliest evidence of brewing to date. So they think it may have even haven't happened accidentally. Um, they definitely think that's how mead got started because it's the simplest way to make alcohol. What we know is what it would take to create beer, and that does give us some clues as to how old it could be. Beer is made with grain, so it stands to reason a civilization would need more grain than what was needed to feed their population. Because if you're starving, uh, <laughs> you probably eat the grain before brewing up a six-pack, you know? So in addition to grain, you also need water, so a water source and storage so the brew can sit. This storage space and time allows the brew to go through the fermentation process. Fermentation being yeast-eating sugars to create alcohol. So for the first people to make beer, they need a lot of grain, probably in the form of a farmed field. The first beer makers were almost certainly non, not nomadic in nature because it isn't easy to haul, uh, you know, big ass jugs of water and beer around as you wait for it to ferment. So they probably were staying in one place, not nomads. Some historians theorize that beer was a big part of why humans started to give up their nomadic ways and start to settle, settle in specific places. But the same argument can be made that agriculture as a whole was the reason why people started staying in certain places. So right there, I thought that was kind of interesting. Historians are like, beer is the reason why civilization is the way it is right now. Oh my gosh. No, I mean, yes and no. Could just be agriculture as a whole. Still, it's fun thought that beer was the thing that's uh, tamed humanity uh, from roaming all over. So even though historians can't agree on when beer brewing started, it is a safe bet that it didn't start before agriculture. I've got some cool um, old advertisements here on the blog. If you want to check that out, always put the blog uh, post link in the description of the podcast. So you'll be able to find it there. Now, beer even infiltrated ancient mythologies. Back in 1800 BC, a poem was written down on a clay tablet that gave instructions on how to brew beer. It is known as the Hymn to Ninkasi. Ninkasi is the tutorly goddess of beer in ancient Sumerian religious mythology. The Hymn of Ninkasi uh, is at once a song of praise to Ninkasi, the Sumerian goddess of beer and ancient recipe for brewing. Written down around 1800 BCE, the hymn is no doubt much older as evidenced by the techniques it details which scholars have determined were actually in use long before the hymn was actually written. So they found what it was written. That wasn't the first time it was written. They think it was passed by word way before that. The hymn to Ninkasi is the oldest record of a direct correlation between the importance of brewing and the responsibility that women had with regard to supplying both bread and beer to the household. 
Ninkasi is female, and the fact that a female deity was invoked in prayer with regards to the production of brewed beverages uh, illustrated the relationship between brewing and women as a domestic right and duty. So now we think of dudes and their craft beers in their garages, but back then, way you know, before the Industrial Revolution, as early as just before the Industrial Revolution, women were the brew, brewmasters, okay? And people want to go back to that. I'm fine if dudes and chicks want to do it, but I think it's interesting to know that it's important to know the history. The repetitive nature of the poem suggests that it was used as a tool in order to pass down information from generation to generation as a way of learning. Now, in the Christian religion, there is St. Brigid of Kildare or Bridget of Ireland. St. Bridget of Kildare or Bridget of Ireland was around, they think around from 451 AD to 525 AD and is the patroness saint um, or mother saint of Ireland and one of its three national saints along with Patrick and Columba. Don't know about Columba, pretty much all know about Patrick, St. Patrick's Day. According to medieval Irish hagiographies, um, we'll get it, which are biographies Biographs, biog <laughs> biographies, biographies of saints. She she was an abbess or a head nun uh, who founded several covens of nuns, most notably that of Kildare, which was one of the most important in Ireland. There are few historical facts about her and early hagiographies, hagiographies, <laughs> basically stories about. Uh, biographies of saints are mainly anecdotes and miracle tales, some of which are rooted in pagan folklore. So St. Bridget is one of those appropriated saints, meaning the Christians made her a saint to appeal to the locals' religious beliefs and hope that they would convert to Christianity. So, you know, a lot of people think uh, St. Bridget of Ireland wasn't actually a Christian saint. She was part of a pagan religion, but they just sort of add, they, like they indoctrinated her. They appropriated her into Christianity. Happened all the time. That's where they think Easter comes from. That's where they think, that's where they definitely where they think uh, Christmas comes from. Um, they took other religions and applied them to Christianity to get those locals a little bit easier to convert to Christianity. And St. Bridget is one of those, uh, a good example of that. St. Bridget shares her name with a Celtic goddess, mm -hmm why they the evidence pointing to she was appropriate in Christianity. She is the patroness of many things, including poetry, learning, healing, protection, blacksmithing, livestock, and dairy production, and of course, beer. Bridget predates Christianity and is said to have created an entire lake of beer in order to help a leper colony. Um, there is some speculation that she didn't exist at all. She just always was a Celtic goddess. Then they said she was a real person when Christianity came around. So she may not have even existed, but the Celtic goddess, at least in people's mind, definitely did exist before Christianity and still exists in Christianity now as a saint. So here is St. Bridget and or Celtic goddess Bridget's prayer about beer in heaven. It's not too long, so stick with me. I thought this was really cool. And there's a couple of different interpretations. This is one I thought sounded the coolest and relatively simple. Here we go. I would like a great lake of beer for the king of kings. Already a great start. I would like to be watching heaven's family drinking it through all eternity. I'd like to give a lake of beer to God. I'd love the heavenly host to be tippling there for all eternity. I'd love the men of heaven to live with me, to dance and sing. If they wanted, I'd put at their disposal vats of suffering. White cups of love I'd give them with a heart and a half. Sweet pitchers of mercy I'd offer to every man. I'd make heaven a cheerful spot because the happy heart is true. I'd make the men con 
tented for their own sake. I'd like Jesus to love me too. I'd like the people of heaven to gather from all the parishes around. I'd give a special welcome to the women, the three Marys of great renown. I'd sit with the men, the women of God there by the lake of the beer. We'd be drinking good health forever, and every drop would be a prayer. So I thought that was pretty cool. That's a pretty nice prayer. I wish I would have read a little bit more smoothly, uh, but it's written in kind of different wording. People don't usually talk like that. It's a poem. But I thought it was cool. You know, I want a great lake of beer for the king of kings. I want to drink and be merry and take away everyone's suffering. That sounds awesome. So St. Bridget sounds like she's pretty kick-ass. Now, there is a theory that whenever the Bible is talking about wine, it was most likely beer. So another Christianity thing here. The great Bible says the greatest story ever told, whatever. They think all the times are like, oh, he dranketh the wine, all that in the Bible. Most likely beer. The reason the area in which the Bible takes place is an area of the world that wasn't very conducive to growing red wine grapes. Think about it. They're out in the middle of the desert. It's not where grapes are from. Instead, Jerusalem and all the other parts of the mid Middle East uh, would have had much more grain and honey at their disposal than grapes. So they think what they were drinking was mead or beer or mixture. The reason why the modern version of the Bible assumes it was wine is because the scholars that interpreted it were from like Italy and France, where there are red wine grapes. That is the common alcoholic drink is wine. So they think when the Bible, they're talking about drinking alcohol, they're like, well, it's obviously wine. So, but they think in reality, they were drinking beer. Uh, it is much more likely the alcohol that the characters of the Bible were drinking was beer, mead, or some combination of the two. If you listen to my mead podcast, I talked about how mixing mead and beer, the mix, the combination of those two is called bragging. And the, the Vikings drank it. Tons of people drank it. I drink it sometimes because I like mixing mead and beer, something super sweet, something bitter, like an IPA. God. Tastes amazing. I recommend it. I've tried other people have had to try it, and some are like, ew, what are you drinking? I'm like, I love it. I think it's great. Speaking of Christianity and beer, where did the association of monks and beer come from? You ever think like Friar Tuck getting drunk? You know, where'd that come from? The short answer is charity. Before the Industrial Revolution, beer wasn't just a party beverage. That's not how people saw it. They saw it as a food source. Monasteries would brew beer, brew beer as a liquid alternative to bread and provide it to the poor and starving. <laughs> Kind of love that. Be like, what are you doing, man? Why are you drinking beer at four o'clock on a Tuesday? I'm not. I'm 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 drinking liquid bread. Get off my back here. Come on. No, before the discovery of yeast and how it played a major role in the creation of alcohol, it was thought that uh that alcohol only came to be due to like a divine blessing from God. So sometimes they would put grain and water or you know other fruits, other you know, fermentable things in a jar with water and it would turn into alcohol. Other times it wouldn't. Um, and before they understood how yeast played into it, wild yeast flying through the air, they thought that it must have been blessed by the gods. So, you know, Christianity, alcohol, very religions of the world and alcohol, very intertwined. Um, other some religions, not at all. If you're Muslim, you don't drink. Uh, but Christianity for sure. Um, and definitely Celtic, ancient Celtic religions as well. Now I want to talk about America's, hist America's history of beer because it's you know where I'm from and I find it really cool. Prior to Prohibition, that's when alcohol was made illegal in the United States for a number of years, there were thousands of breweries in the United States mostly brewing heavier beers than modern U.S. beer drinkers are used to today. Beginning in 1920, most of these breweries went out of business from Prohibition and the Depression, although some converted to soft drinks and other businesses, some like watered down their beer, all kind of stuff like that. 
um, bootlegged beer was often watered down to increase profits, beginning a trend still ongoing today of the American markets heavily advertising the weaker beers and keeping them popular. So I find that fascinating. Because of the stock market crash, the Great Depression, and the outlawing of alcohol in America, beer started to be sold illegally and unregulated. Because it wasn't regulated, distributors began doing shady things like watering down their brews to maximize profits, just like you might see in a dive bar. They water down their alcoholic drinks. They can sell at the same price. It doesn't cost as much. That is when the American public got a taste for really light beers, and that is why we still love them today. This is why I find history to be so amazing. It's like putting pieces of a puzzle together, connecting the dots. You understand, you know, you go over to Europe, you go to other countries when I do, you drink beer and you're like, oh, wow, that's really strong. And I got a taste for it. And I love it now. But growing up, I would drink, you know, Bud Lights, um, even, even, you know, nicer ones like Yinglings and stuff. And Coors, Coors Original, those are super light compared to European brews. I never knew why. I thought just, I don't know, we're America. We do things different. No, it had history is why. It's, it's a great reason. It's a great story. I find that amazing. Now, consolidation of breweries and the uh, application of industrial quality control standards have led to the mass production and the mass marketing of huge quantities of light lagers. Advertising became supreme, and bigger companies fared better in that market. The decades after World War II saw a huge consolidation of the American brewing industry. Brewing companies would buy their rivals solely for their customers and distribution systems shutting down their brewing operations. In the last 150 years, uh, their at there has been a trend in the American brewery scene. Despite the record increases in production between 1870 and 1895, the number of firms fell by 46%. Average brewing or brewery output rose significantly, uh, driven partly by a rapid increase in output by the largest breweries. As late as 1877, only four breweries topped 100,000 barrels annually. By 1895, the largest 16 firms had greatly increased their productivity product the productive capacity, and we're all brewing over 250,000 barrels annually. So I know this is a lot of economic talk, but and imports have become more abundant since the mid-1980s. Now we're getting more uh, up to date here. The number of breweries has been claimed as being either over 1,500 in 2007 or over 1,400 in 2010, depending on the source. As of June 2013, the brewer's Association reports the total number of currently operating U.S. breweries to be 2,538, with only 55 of those being non-craft breweries. So the trend in American brewing went from you had these little pop-up breweries, and then all of a sudden it got industrialized. All these places, um, the little guys started getting eaten up by the big guys. They started coming out with like Bud Light, uh, Anheuser-Busch. Um, so I got some pretty cool graphs on there. Not the best to talk about in a podcast. Some people are like, oh, numbers, Zeb, why? Because it's interesting. Um, and <laughs> if you want to take anything away from American beer history, it's that the prohibition basically made America drink like pussified, watered-down beers. I, I'm not I'm not hating on it. I love a yingling. I love a natty light for some reason. It's like basically water with a little bit of beer in it. And I love it. It's like my favorite day drinking beer. Um, and... <laughs> the extreme of that, my aunt Marty, her one boyfriend, Keith, or her one boyfriend, her boyfriend, Keith, uh, we went to a Mexican restaurant once and the guy, he's a big dude. He used to play basketball. He's awesome. Deep voice. Cool dude. I didn't, I didn't know what I expected him to get to drink. I thought maybe he didn't drink at all. I don't know. He orders a Bud Light on the rocks. 
And our waitress was like, what? <laughs> Why? Like, Did I hear you right? He goes, yeah, man, I want Bud Light on the rocks. And he was like, it's, you know, you get dehydrated less. It's how he likes it. And <laughs> I thought that was interesting. So that's the extreme version of Americans um, likeness for watered down beers and how prohibition made that happen. And all those numbers I was talking about earlier is how the American economy basically uh, rewards the big guys for cranking out tons of you know, quantity over quality and the little guys are dying out, but that's coming back. Now uh, we do have more craft brews come popping up all over America, tons in Pennsylvania here. Now shifting gears from history to modern day questions. I've always had about beer. I've always wondered about the different kinds of beers. What makes them different? Let's start with lagers. Lagers are a typical entry point into beer for new drinkers made with bottom fermenting uh, yeast that has a lower tolerance for alcohol. Lagers can taste light and a little malty. Classic lagers in America include Miller High Life, Coors, Budweiser, and Yingling. Lagers are a great launching pad for newcomers to beer. Yingling, side note here, is America's oldest brewery. One of their sayings is, we aren't the best because we are the oldest. We are the oldest because we are the best. The England Company started in 1829 in Pottsville, Pennsylvania. They are legendary here in my home state. We Pennsylvanians are mighty proud of Yingling. So um, that's a lager right there. Then you have IPAs. That's real big right now. Some people love them. I do. I definitely don't hate it on IPAs. I did it first, but they grew on me. IPA stands for Indian Pale Ales. There's an, I'll get into why they're called that. But they encompass a numerous style of beers. Tons of IPA can compass a lot of different kinds of beers get their characteristics largely from hops and herbal citrus or fruity flavors they can be bitter and contain high alcohol levels you can get really drunk off ipas though the final product depends on the variety of hops used some ipas can taste like pure citrus while others are strong and bitter prominent ipa styles include west coast ipa british ipa and new england style ipa fun little origin story to the whole ipa thing behind the name of Indian Pale Ale, the IPA was invented in Britain. Here's the abridged version. British sailors, while sailing to India, loaded up barrels of beer with hops because hops were a preservative. The hops hung around in the beer for so long that they lost their fruity flavor and left a bitter tasting beer. So they're called Indian Pale Ales because British sailors had to sail from Britain to India. It's a long trip. You don't want your beer to sort of get bad and funky so you put these preservative hops in there the hops made it bitter and people were like ugh. and if, i swear for the longest time they were marketed as you know really cheap bitter gross people didn't like them hard to sell and they were dirt cheap then the hipster crowd in america got a hold of them started drinking the ipas like this is really good i can get really drunk off of it and now they're expensive as shit ipas are like the most expensive you can get um so i <laughs> like i said i'm just the word i shouldn't say an american the world economy and just how the history plays into that fascinating so ipas are big right now uh, but be careful because they will they will mess you up normally i can have like you know six beers and i'm feeling good but i'm okay i mean i definitely wouldn't operate a car but six beer six natties i'm okay you know um but definitely feeling it six ipas and i'm done <laughs> I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm done. I need a water and a nap at that point. Usually <laughs> now we're on to pale ales. They're usually hoppy, but carry lower alcohol content than IPAs. Um, I'm doing a bridge versions here just cause this is already a long podcast. You got Pilsners. Pilsners are really cool. It's a type of pale lager. It takes its name from the Bohemian city of Pilsen, uh, where it was first produced in 1842 by Bavarian brewer, Joseph Grohl. The world's first pale lager, the original Pilsner, 
uh, Urquell is still produced here there today in Pilsen, or it's spelled P-L-C-E-N with a little accent on the N. So Pilsen are, are different. They come up with a completely different way of brewing beer, and it gives you this still really strong taste, higher alcohol, but Pilsener is known for being super light, um, like to see through. You'll put it, pour it in a glass. It's a very light looking beer, but it's still pretty strong and good. Pilsners are good beers. I like them. Next on my favorite stout, a dark beer. The flavor of stouts depend on where they come from. Sweet stouts largely originate in Ireland and England and are known for their low bitterness. In fact, Ireland's uh, Guinness brand produces some of the world's most recognizable stout beer. Everyone's heard of Guinness. I love a Guinness. It's good stuff. Stout are dark. You're going to think they're going to taste real bitter and harsh, um, but they don't, they taste good, uh, really smooth, at least the sweet ones, but there are some of those, uh, <laughs> harder stouts stouts produced in the U S U S combine the typical dark body and creamy notes with the hoppy, bitter flavors characterized by American beers. American stouts are strong, highly roasted, bitter, and hoppy with high malty flavors that give them the taste of coffee or dark chocolate. Um, so you've two different kinds of stouts, the old stouts, which are sweet and uh, smooth. Then you have the American stouts, which sometimes can taste like you're drinking a cigar. And some people I know, I'm like, here, try this. And they're like, what the, how are you drinking that? It tastes like tree bark. I'm like, I don't know. I like it. <laughs> I like both. I like the smooth. I like the harsh. I like it all. And another good dark one are porters. Um, a quarter, let's see, Porter's a style of beer that's developed in London, England in the 18th century. Uh, Porter is actually the great grandpa of today's stout. It was and still is made with dark malted barley, a good amount of hops and top fermented ale yeasts. The end result is usually a dark medium bodied uh, beer with a nice balance of malty sweetness and bitter hoppiness. According to the Beer Judge Certificate Program, a stout is defined. Here's the difference between a stout and a porter. Nobody ever knows, but here we go. According to the Beer Judge Certificate Program, a stout is defined as a very dark, roasty, bitter, cream, a creamy ale, while a porter is described as a substantially multi dark ale with a complex and a flavorful character. So basically, a stout has roasted malts and associated flavors, whereas a porter does not. So that's the big difference. <laughs> not that big of a difference. They're both really dark beers. Either one, you're going to get a dark beer. You have Belgian beers. They have super strict rules to be a Belgian beer. You can't add, you can only have certain ingredients in there. Um, their rich culture was poured into the U.S. over the years, giving enthusiasts on this side of the Atlantic a deep appreciation for the wide variety of Belgian-style flavors. Belgian beer span pale ales, dark ales, fruity beers, stuff like that. But to be a Belgian beer, it's or to be like the old kind of Belgian beer, um, you can only have very basic ingredients, very little variation how you make them. There's wheat beers, and wheat beers are basically disgusting and are the only type of beer that I really don't care for. <laughs> I think beers that are made with wheat, to me, taste like ketchup. I don't want to drink that. I'll drink so many other beers a lot of people think disgusting. The only one I've really never liked, wheat beers. I don't like Miller Lite because they use wheat. Nah. I'll drink like Natty and Bud Light because made with rice, but not wheat ones. Then you have sour beers. They're super harsh, kind of like IPAs. And there you go. Those are the different kind of beers. I hear my dog barking. I think my mom's here. Uh, so I'm going to end the podcast there. Thank you for listening, Huda Thunkers, to episode 101 on beer. Now, the whole reason I did I just went to a beer fest last weekend. I drank like 20 different beers in the span of like three hours. Uh, not full-fledged beers, only like four ounces each, but still. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> all those different beers just selling in your gut. IPAs, stouts, all different kind of stuff. 
that knocked me on my ass, <laughs> but it was a good time. Shannon went, she didn't drink nearly as many beers. She was smart and cut herself off. Like I'm done. She went to the silent disco that they had there. Those are cool. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Who to thunkers drink some beer responsibly. Do not drink and drive. Um, said that for my whiskey episode as well, but don't drink a drive, but do drink some beer, enjoy it and catch you next week. Uh, next week I'm going to do an episode on the Michelin star system and why the heck is a rubber tire company the most prestigious rating system for restaurants around the world uh find out next week these are published every by wednesdays i try to get them out i usually say definitely by thursday it's there <laughs> but yeah i get them out wednesday morning so tune in next week who thunkers catch you later